This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, April the 5th. I'm your host, D.A., and we come to you from the downtown convention center in Minneapolis, the home of this year's Final Four. And the Final Four has one of the most interesting stories to me in recent college basketball history. And perhaps when we have some time to look back, it'll be the most interesting story in college basketball history. Never before had we ever seen a number one seed lose to the 16. And we saw last year the number one overall seed lose to a 16. And we saw the number one overall seed lose by 20 to the 16 seed. That was, of course, Virginia's Cavaliers against UMBC. Well, one year later, the Cavaliers are in the Final Four. How to put into context just how crazy that turnaround is, going from the most embarrassing, humiliating moment in college basketball tournament history to now one year later dancing into the Final Four. Let's start with WXYT, 97-1, the ticket in Detroit with Jamie and Stoney as they look ahead to the Final Four and hone in on how crazy this turnaround is by UVA. The preliminary game briefly, uh, Virginia against Auburn. What do you see in that one? Um, you know, I see obviously a great defense for Virginia, and, and the question for Auburn is the same that it's been all season. Can they uh, hit the threes uh, like they have been this tournament? I mean, that's that's really the essence of their offense. Uh, if they're making it rain from deep, they have a chance. But that Virginia pack line defense um, is is something to behold, and I, I think they they um, they get past Auburn and, and make it to Monday. Well, I was just going to say, that's the thing about, you know, the Virginia-Purdue game. I mean, people look at it and go, wow, you know, Purdue was out there just chucking, you know, and Carson Edwards was hitting all these threes. You know, maybe long maybe they'll threes. be susceptible. Yeah, they weren't giving open looks. No. Like, Carson Edwards was just on a different planet. So, if you're going to be able to contest the shots, and that's all Auburn wants to do, it's going to be difficult for them to make them. Virginia is a very good defensive team on the perimeter. Yeah, they're fantastic. And, I mean, and this is no offense to Carson Edwards or Purdue, but neither of them played a great game against Virginia. Carson Edwards was just unconscious mm-hmm. from deep. Like he wasn't playing fundamentally great basketball and nor was Purdue, but he was hitting shots from Purdue's campus against <laughs> Virginia. And, and so they were in the game, but uh, Tony Bennett was on his players pretty much all game. Listen, just keep on playing the way you're playing. He's going to start missing shots. And eventually he did. Uh, he missed just enough for UVA to escape, make it to the first Final Four. Final thing on them. Do you have the feeling that maybe because they lost as a one seed to the 16th seed last year, the karma gods are kind of favoring Virginia right now? Yeah, you would um, You would think so. Um, 
Hey, if they win, they'd be the first uh, one seed to ever win the thing after losing to a 16 seed the year prior. So they, <laughs> they, have, they have that. They have Making that history. Um, they, they do seem like a team of destiny in some sense, but doesn't Michigan State do? Yeah, exactly. And, and speaking of the Spartans, they, you know, from watching the stuff on TV and reading uh, your stuff and, and others, they seem, I wouldn't say cocky at all, but they're pretty confident. They, they like where they are right now, don't they? Yeah, no doubt. Um, once they got past that first-round game against Bradley and kind of got that monkey off their back and then got out of the first weekend, um, they just seem looser. And you can ask the guys, and they'll all say, ever since uh, that first weekend, there's just a lighter mood around these guys where they feel like um, that they're on a mission to, to do something special. And, um, yeah, it's just it's palpable. I mean, in the locker room, in the way they play. I mean, you've got Matt McQuaid going up, throwing down tomahawk dunks over six foot ten guys. He's six foot five. Like, <laughs> there's just a, an, an evident confidence in the way they're playing that we probably haven't seen from them all year. Um, it's carried them here, and I think it can carry them through Monday. When you really think about that loss to UMBC, it's pretty amazing because if we saw a two versus a fifteen lose by twenty, it'd be nuts. If we saw a three lose to a 14 by 20, it'd be insane. If we saw a four lose to a 13 by 20, it'd be embarrassing. But this was the number one overall seed for the first time ever losing a one to a 16. And give Tony Bennett's crew credit because they have used this clearly as a fuel. And perhaps if they win a national championship, perhaps that was actually the best thing that could have happened to them. Perhaps. Of course, you never want that to happen, but if they use that to win a national championship, I don't know if they could have or would have done that without such a low moment. Yesterday, we talked about the interview that we had with David Irving, former Cowboys defensive tackle on CBS Sports Radio, and the Dallas Cowboys world is still discussing it. Former Dallas Cowboy defensive standout for those 90s dynasty teams, Darren Woodson, joined Sean and RJ on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. And Woodson thinks that David Irving was out of line, questioning Jason Garrett's comfort with those of color. Did you hear what David Irving had to say about Jason Garrett yesterday? Man, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's not, it doesn't even give I don't even want to spend the time talking about David Irving and those comments, honestly. I, 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 actually, I did not even hear all of the comments. I was getting on a plane and heard a little, just a, heard just a, a tidbit of, of what he said. But, listen, I've known Jason Garrett since 1993. Uh, I've become friends, good friends uh, with he and his wife and Brill and have known the family and not only Jason but his father and his brother. I, I, it's just. <laughs> I, it's it's hard to swallow, you know, these shots going his way when I know the man's heart and I know who he is as a person. And you know, for people to take shots at him, I don't care if it's a current player, former player. I know who Jason Garrett is, and I know the man. And I just, I'm, I'm a firm believer in him, and have a ton of confidence in him. Darren, a lot of talk, especially with Randy Gregory here. David Irving has been an advocate about marijuana. And let's get this change in the NFL. And they continue to give Randy nonstop chances. David is deciding to go off and do his own thing. Where do you stand on the league needing to change this or not with the future CBA and guys still getting punished over it? Yeah, man, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, a question that you know has been bantered around for years. And I, I remember this conversation coming up like six or seven years ago. 
in a conversation that Bill Polian and I had had. And Polian basically came out and said at some point, uh, in, written into one of these CDAs, is that you know, the league is going to have to legalize the fact that guys are smoking marijuana and it's going to be a part of it. And similar to the accepting part that the NBA has done uh, over over the years, and I think that's I think that's going to be the case. Not sure when that's going to happen, um, but it's been on the docket. I know a lot of players have discussed it and, and, and have wanted to bring it to fruition uh, through the CBA. It's just you know the NFL is going to control that and 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 and, and figure out when they when they want to do it. Do am I look? Am I going to take sides on this right now? No. I mean, I'd like to see how that plays out through those those discussions, but I know that it's going to be a firm discussion coming up in the next CBA. And, and to go back on, you know, the question of, you know, those two players. I, you know, listen, if, if David Irving wanted to really, you know, play right now, I think he'd have to do whatever it took to get back on the field. Do you un- do you understand their support of Randy? Yes, I understand because I think Randy is, and if you hear about Randy Gregory, he is absolutely trying. There, there is a, there is, they have rallied around him. Uh, they know that he is trying to get as much help as he possibly can, and and that's the understanding that's been around the Valley Ranch for a long time. And this is, that's the reason why this team has continued to support Randy Gregory because they know that he has a problem, and it's not just a marijuana problem. It, it's it's. It's more than than that. It's a mental health issue as well. And they and Randy Gregory is trying to get the help he needs, and the Cowboys want to support him. And you got to firmly believe in that. I think what gets lost with David Irving is the fact that the rest of that interview, as we mentioned yesterday, was pretty cogent and thoughtful on a lot of different issues. And people just heard him take down Jason Garrett and immediately wiped it off, washed it off wrote it off because he was a quote-unquote lazy weed head. But there is actually a lot more to what David Irving says. Look, it sounds like everybody around the Cowboys is rallying to Jason Garrett's defense. And so perhaps David Irving just had a very unique experience with Jason Garrett that nobody else actually had. But you can't kill a guy for just saying what he felt was his relationship with Jason Garrett, his former head coach. Elsewhere in Texas, we're almost at the NBA playoffs. And how dangerous is James Harden and the Houston Rockets? Well, Harden might win back-to-back MVPs for being a facilitator, for being an unbelievable scorer, and for helping the Houston Rockets out of a ridiculous, dramatic hole to begin the season into a top two or three seed in the Western Conference playoffs. But not everybody's happy with James Harden's style. Is it possible that Harden's style cheats pure basketball? That's what a former NBA player said, and the guys on Sports Radio 610 in Houston on Mad Radio dissected it. Take a listen to Don McClain, who is the color analyst on the Clippers television broadcast, who said this about James Harden last night. I just feel like, Ralph, this style, what Harden does, is manipulating the game somehow, like almost like cheating it somehow. And I don't really have a thought beyond that other than I'm watching something that isn't basketball, like... To me, basketball is player movement, ball movement, design plays, not just a guy walking it up and isolating every time. Oh, Don McClain. Terrible. It's been a huge career drop-off since American Pie. It's like everybody knows, like, I feel like it's a time ago. I used to not have to worry about step-back threes when I played in the early aughts.
who else could do what James Harden is doing? Okay, I understand if you don't like, and he didn't, by the way, everybody, he, he delivered that poorly. He almost made it sound like a rhetorical compliment, like a rhetorical question. He was basically saying like, hey, lots of other people could do it if they allowed them to do it. What what the hell are you talking about? Like, what nonsense is spewing from your mouth at this point? Some of the best players in the league could do it, yeah. But that's who could do it, and that's why they would be entrusted to do it if they didn't have a, a, a supporting cast around him, kind of like in the same manner that, that James Harden does. So, like, I... It, People are flipping out about this, and I understand why, because it was it was the NBA TV broadcast where it felt very much like a homer broadcast. This is the problem the NBA has right now. They, they broadcast like the home local broadcast on NBA TV, and it doesn't get treated like a national broadcast. It gets treated like you get a bunch of homers, like the Rockets do. Like the Rockets are like, we're very homerish on our broadcast. Yes. Um, and uh, it just, it, it felt like it delved, it, it, it strayed from criticism on into just like, personal attack i agree with you is this the way that we would feel about james harden if he was not playing on the rockets i wouldn't i wouldn't say that a bunch of other people could do what he's doing yeah i would i would i would have issues with the style of play and i would i would whine and complain about the step back threes that are sometimes but i don't feel like, like he's one out of 20 times are actual travels and that, and then i i hope that i wouldn't act like because you do see people nationally they'll say like look we got to quit playing like one or two highlights of travels and acting like this is every step back three with James Harden. I think a lot of smart basket people acknowledge that and understand that. But there are a few jackasses like Don McLean and others that act like that's every single step back three. Like that every single step back is he's taking five steps. There's that. And uh, look, I, I disagree with some of what he said, that it's cheating, that it's also not basketball. But James Harden is clearly manipulating the rules of basketball. I mean, he has impeccable footwork, and he has found a way where gather steps have become a tremendous ally to him. And on top of that, there is no one better at in this game at drawing fouls than James Harden. And when you're a good free throw shooter, yeah, so he's manipulating the game. I don't have a problem with it per se. I mean, do what it takes to be a successful player, but he is manipulating the but, game. Okay, is he, but is, he manipulating? Right, is he manipulating the game when people, like, when he gets fouled driving to the rim, he's getting fouled. Those aren't phantom fouls. James Harden is doing nothing against the rules. James Harden is one of the most effective scorers and playmakers really in NBA history. And I think it's kind of utterly insane, the idea that James Harden is just doing this within some type of system, that plenty of players could do this if they were allowed to do it within the system. No, James Harden is a unique talent. James Harden is an amazing player. And James Harden right now is one of the most unstoppable, undefensible guys in the league. And you might not like the style, but let's not act as though there's many players that could do this as long as they were allowed to inside of a system. That is utterly insane. In the NFL, everybody around the Green Bay Packers discussing an article written by Tyler Dunn in the Bleacher Report, who formerly covered the Packers on a daily basis, about the Aaron Rodgers-Mike McCarthy rift. Just how awful was it? Here's Bill Michaels, 105.7, the fan in Milwaukee. You hear stuff like, you know, there's some infighting and such, and sometimes you kind of take it with a grain of salt because you're not quite sure who to believe and what to believe. But when you take a look at, at Tyler Dunn's article in the Bleacher Report, man, the dynamic of Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, and Aaron Rodgers, and specifically the two of Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, it just depends on what you believe. You know, you've got Mike McCarthy who 
you know, at least according to the article, turned things over to assistants, was up in the up, up in the office getting massages at times when other guys are downstairs trying to put game plans together. They're losing respect for him. Aaron Rodgers is changing a third of the plays at the line of scrimmage. And if you went out and ran the play the coach called and the coach screamed at you and your position coach screamed at you and said, hey, you do it this way. And if you went against Aaron Rodgers, you weren't seeing the ball anymore, you know? You don't know what to believe, but what you do know is there's a, a, an enormous amount of dysfunctionality. And then you read about, well, these things were going on, so people say, well, where's Mark Murphy? So Mark Murphy in this article, according to a source that's close to Mark, or it was up there with Mark, Mark makes the decision to go ahead and, and remove Ted from his position, brings in Brian Gutekunst, gives Mike that ultimatum, you're going to go out and win or we're going to let you go. Everybody knew it was coming. Sure enough, Mark goes ahead right in the middle of the season and, and fires Mike. Mike doesn't like the way it was handled, but Mark's like, look, I'm tired of the drama. He then calls up Aaron Rodgers and says, we are hiring Matt LaFleur. There's a pause. I'd like you to give him a call. Mark Murphy taking, taking control of the team, saying this is enough's enough. Okay, I got to get this thing back on, on the tracks. So him and Brian go and hire Matt LaFleur. Aaron Rodgers gets the call. And and then Mark Murphy is quoted as, as basically putting a hat on on Aaron. He says, quote, don't be the problem, Aaron. Don't be the problem. And quote, I'm tired of this diva stuff. Man, it, it's kind of putting a hat on him. And this is after you paid the guy. So you're bringing in your new head coach. He's bringing in a new offensive coordinator. You're bringing back an old friend and Luke Getze. You kept Mike Pettin, uh, the defensive coordinator, who it seemed like Aaron Rodgers respected. You're trying to put people in place that are going to challenge Aaron's Aaron, but yet going to coach him and try to put this whole thing back together. You believe you've got some good pieces. Now whether or not those pieces are capable of existing, we'll have to wait and see. You've got rookies saying, look, if I cross Aaron Rodgers, he won't throw me the ball anymore and won't look at me. But I'm getting screamed at by my head coach for not doing things the way I'm supposed to be doing them. So what am I supposed to do? That's the, that's the hornet's nest mess that Matt LaFleur has to walk into. I think what Dunn did so well in that piece was display how it was dysfunctional on both sides. That you had Mike McCarthy, whose offense had stagnated, who also wanted plenty of credit for the success of the team, who had a tough time connecting and relating to some players, and totally unable to relate and connect to Aaron Rodgers. And then you had Aaron Rodgers, who clearly was chip on his shoulder, unhappy with many of McCarthy's play calls, subverting him, undermining him with the rest of the team, the front office, and the players, and so what could possibly come out of that except dysfunction? I think an interesting point that Bill Michaels brings up is that's the hornet's nest that Matt LaFleur is walking into. You've got rookies saying, look, if I cross Aaron Rodgers, he won't throw me the ball anymore and won't look at me. But I'm getting screamed at by my head coach for not doing things the way I'm supposed to be doing them. So what am I supposed to do? And how do you fix that? I mean, on the one hand, it might be the best thing that ever happened to the Packers simply because if Aaron Rodgers has that much of an axe to grind, if he carries that much of a chip on his shoulder, if he's that much of a, I told you I could do it without Mike McCarthy, he is going to go into ultimate screw you mode this season and want to prove that not only does he not need McCarthy, but that he will succeed greater without Mike McCarthy. And perhaps that's the best thing that the Packers could get out of it. But let's face it, after that gets out of that is explored and now made public, you've got to have a lot of discomfort surrounding that franchise and what Aaron Rodgers' role really is in building a roster 
and picking a head coach. In the sports talk world, an interesting day. In many ways, a sad day. As former sports radio host Craig Carton, who built a huge career and following at WFAN in New York as part of the morning show with Boomer Esiason, was sentenced today to three and a half years in prison for his role in building a Ponzi scheme and a ticket resale scam. Boomer worked with him for nearly a decade, and Boomer expressed his thoughts and his opinions and his feelings about the entire saga earlier this morning on the show before the sentencing came down. For nine and a half years, I worked with him and never saw that side of it. I always saw a crazy guy who came in here and gave his all to put on a four-hour show uh, to entertain everybody, including yours truly and I think the guys that worked with him. And I, I know that you're going to go over there today, Al, and it's going to be a sad end for you because I know how close you two guys have been throughout the years. You guys knew each other before uh, we all got together. Um, I know Chris Oliveira will be over there. Maybe Mark Chernoff will be over there, and I'm sure his family will be there. And uh, you know, your heart breaks when you read all this stuff. Um, I don't know why now this stuff comes out because I think when he does come out, he'll be able to tell a story that nobody else can tell because he's lived through hell over the last 17 months. This thing from uh, Phil Mushnick, he didn't talk to him directly. Uh, Phil Mushnick got a hold of a video that I guess Craig is putting out today or at some point. Right. Uh, just talking about his experience from it. So all those quotes that he has in the paper today are from this this video that Craig had recorded. You know, what will be interesting today, many of us who have known Craig and know, know the Craig that is not the gambling Craig, just the crazy Craig, the Captain Chaos, the entertaining Craig, the guy who is compassionate, who did have a... Uh, a camp carton for Tourette's families and never did anything wrong there, at least in, to, to my knowledge. Um, be interesting to see if our letters of support actually help him in any way with the judge who is going to be sentencing, sentencing him today. As we saw, the, the, the U.S. attorneys basically recommended between five and seven years. Uh, that was chilling reading that. Uh, this whole thing has just been eye-opening and, and frightening. And I remember Craig many time saying on this radio station what is the thing that he was most afraid of jail going to jail he said that many times to jail for for the nine and a half years that we were on this air and the amazing thing is for us you know we never really noticed anything until the summer of 17 really maybe the late spring early summer we saw something change something happened and then i read this article and i guess craig admitted that his last bet was in june of 18 so he was still gambling up until last summer. And I and I played golf with him. And I remember coming back here saying, I don't necessarily know that he has really changed that much, that his personality is still the same. And then I read that he had a bet, I guess, June 22nd uh, of 18 last summer. That's right around when we were playing golf. And maybe that's what he was alluding to because he actually did make a bet on the golf course. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait a minute here. You know, so... I don't know. This is going to be uh, it's going to be a sad day for all of us that are associated with him. Uh, hopefully, uh, the victims uh, that were a part of this sad situation get some restitution. I don't know where that is. I don't know if you know where that is, Al. And then, of course, uh, our hearts and prayers go, uh, I think, out to his family. It's going to be hard for Craig Carton to come back and have the loyalty of the listeners that he once had. That's something that's really important i think in building the type of career that he had listeners came to really believe and be loyal to him because they trusted him 
at least in terms of him being authentic and who he was. And he's an incredibly talented sports radio host, an incredibly talented radio guy. But now that you have this type of thing attached to him, it makes you wonder if those listeners will ever come back and truly be able to buy back in. Perhaps one day you know that plenty of potential employers will think about bringing him back because he is so good, so talented, and so productive at what he does. But that authenticity and that honesty is something that you need as some type of in-between between you and the listener. And now Craig doesn't really have that any longer. He'll spend three and a half years. And finally, let's end in Pittsburgh on a lighter note, where in the city of Steel... Somebody stole all the hot dog buns. On Buck Night, a promotional night for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they had plenty of hot dogs, but not enough buns. They ran out of buns. They ran out of buns on Buck Night for dollar hot dogs. Oh, the shame of it all. Here's the Fan Morning Show on 93.7 The Fan, discussing running out of buns, and do you put a hot dog in a bun or on a bun? In light of the hot dog bun debacle at PNC Park, right, on, on Bucknut, you wear the hot dog bun debacle? Yes, yes, I heard about In that. In light of all we'll of this, so a philosophical question, if you would. Are hot dogs served on a bun or in a bun? Oh, wow. I'd say, <laughs> man. I thought yeah. of that yesterday. I'd say in. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's But see, the thing is, I think well, I would say that a hamburger is on a bun. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly, exactly yep. what Matt is just said. Is that what you guys just said? Yeah. Okay. See, I think of things that are in as fully encased, like fully enclosed, like a burrito. All the stuff is in a burrito. A hot dog okay, isn't or the same. Like can, a wrap. A, yeah, well, burrito's wrapped sure. in Pally. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> so a hot dog, I, I said, I go either way. Yeah, I don't think there's a wrong answer, but if you say, hey, do you want a hot dog on a bun? I don't ever say to my kids, hey, you want a hot dog in a bun? Like if, Because sometimes they get it with the bun or without. So right, right. when I say to my kids, and here's how I thought of it in, the, in this context, you want, your hot dog in a, you want your hot dog on a bun when I'm asking them. I don't say, hey, you want your hot dog in a bun? Like think of presenting it to somebody if you're at the grill. Hey, you want your hot dog on a bun? I just say with a bun. Think of you as the grill master, Jim, I'm, and you're I'm, presenting I'm, it to someone. I know. What would you say? I wouldn't say anything. I mean, you get your own role. <laughs> Matt. I would say on. Right. I would say on, but uh-huh. I still but, think it's in a bun. <laughs> the hot dog is in the bun. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, when I grill them, I just put them on a plate, and then you're yeah, on your it, own. Why can't you play long ever? Do you put a hot dog in a bun or on a bun? This terminology is because of the bun debacle at PNC Park, which they, you didn't put them anywhere near a bun, apparently, no. if you were one of the first, you you just, didn't, if you weren't one of the first 300 it, people okay. to buy one. So here's a question. Okay. There's no bun. Like your kids eat hot dogs sometimes. Yeah, my son does that. Is it still a hot dog? Yes, it is. Because the hot dog is the product, the meat. The product, product. yes. He also just eschews any utensil. No, and I, just, I get so mad at him. They will walk around oh, with just a he just gives he it just the gives hot dog it the in their hand. hand. Right in the yes. bare hand, grips yes. it. Yes, like you know, like he's like he's going to bathroom. It's sufficient. Well, right, well, it just looks. That- <laughs> And I said, what are you Jeez. doing with this hot dog? Why are you holding it in your hand? He goes, it's how you eat it. I said, I don't know. Cut it up. Kid's got a point. Right. He's, get, he's, he's uh, waggling all right over the, the place. place. I like it. Why, it get re- a, why get a fork dirty? That's a good. But then his hand's all like, you know. Well, watch his, you know. Anyway, in a bun or on a bun. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with on a bun because I've never asked somebody as I'm standing at the grill do you want your hot dog in a bun? I've always asked them, do you want it on a bun? That, that's, that's, how, that's how I arrived at my decision.
See, you I, know what's I, funny? Yes. Is that you're right that that it's if I were asking somebody, do you want it on a bun? I would probably say, do you want it on a bun? And yet, if you gave it to me, I would put it in a bun, which is just weird. Mm-hmm. But that's the but that's the way I would probably ask it. Yeah. It's it's life. Life's a weird thing, Jim. It is. See, that's why I make people go get their own. Yeah. You don't have to so worry about the semantics. Old yeah. Jimbo's doing the cooking. You're on your own from there. Yeah. Pretty much. I think you put a hot dog in a bun. I think you put a hot dog in a bun. I think you put a hamburger on a bun. But ultimately, these are all important questions to be answered by those that have the ultimate crime pulled on them. Hot dog. No That'll do it for us at Around the Dial, the best of your sports talk for Friday, April the 5th. On Monday, when we talk to you next, we'll have our national championship game set up. We'll see you then, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 